Hey everyone, I'm Rick Fox, aspiring author and co-host of Opinionated, but you probably knew that already. With Christmas here, it's been a bit hectic for us, so we weren't able to record a normal episode. But luckily, one of my favorite internet reviewers was able to give me a little bit of his time to talk about Star Wars. His name is Chuck Sonnenberg, but you probably know him as SF Debris, and if you don't know him, you should, and you can find him at sfdebris.com. He reviews science fiction and other speculative content, but I'll let him tell you more once the interview starts. By the way, there was a little bit of technical difficulty on my end, so if the sound quality isn't what it normally is, that's why. Without further ado, here we go. I never really know how to start these things, so we're just going to jump into it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, um, you mind if I call you Chuck? Is that, is that cool? Chuck is good. Cool. I'll go with that. Um, for our listeners, though, you probably know him as uh, SF Debris if, you, if you're aware of him. Um, if you're not, you should definitely go to his website and check out his videos. Do you want to give people a little bit of an idea of what you do for people who may not have heard of you before? I, I'm a smartass. <laughs> I uh, look at uh, science fiction, fantasy, and other speculative fiction. I do a combination of comedy show analysis and sometimes an exploration of the background and history of works. That's actually pretty much exactly why I wanted to, to bring you onto the show. Um, we are, have been going through all of the, uh, the main Star Wars movies leading up to Episode Nine. And I had a guy on to talk about the prequels, and so I wanted to have someone else to talk uh, about the, the original movies. And I was looking for, for who to do it, and that's when I kind of first found your, your series. I think they're called uh, Hero's Journey and Shadow's Journey, and I think there's a third one. Hermit's Journey? Yeah, Hermit's Journey is the third. Those were all really, really fascinating um, video series on the behind-the-scenes creation of Star Wars, and normally I am not the type of fan to be very into that type of thing. But what I found fascinating about that is a lot of the behind the series, behind the scenes um, decisions influenced the, the on, on set decisions in a way that I had, I had no idea about. Um, how did you kind of get into deciding to make those? Was that something that, because uh, I know that a lot of your stuff is requests. Was that something that you just wanted to do or was that something someone requested of you? Sometimes when I get started working on a project, um, something gets my attention with it, and I have to dig into it a bit deeper, and I find things in there that fascinate me. And anytime I find something that fascinates me, I feel inclined to share that on the show. So that's really where that came from. I just started looking into the background because I was going to do a review and analysis of the first film only. And uh, the story of George Lucas that emerged from it was really surprising and amazing. Everything in the way it came together changed my perspective on the man. I, I completely agree with you, actually. That the like even just the the stuff that you you showed um, in the in the video, it really evolved the way that I, I saw him. I think I watched Hermit's Journey first uh, because I, I think that like erroneously I figured, oh, he's going to start with the prequels for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, that it was really fascinating to see the way he evolved as a filmmaker throughout, throughout making those. What did you kind of go into that video? Like, was there a specific perspective that you came into it initially with, or like, how did that, how did he evolve for you as you kind of made those videos? Well, um, what uh, emerged for me was the, uh, that he's not as simple as fandom likes to portray him. Some just paint him as the Leonardo da Vinci, you know, the 
the brilliant, unappreciated artist, and others as the talented guy who lost his way and um, became obsessed and all those things. And the truth of the matter is, he's um, he's a he's a fallible, brilliant human being um, who made some great choices, is very smart, and is fascinatingly committed to seeing his vision through not just with films but in all aspects where he he looks at what's missing and becomes almost or even obsessed with filling that gap in that that makes a lot of sense actually uh i i think that um while i enjoyed all of your parts and and i'm i'm really here to talk to you more about the the uh the original trilogy, the videos on the sequels, you know, I think I, like a lot of uh, the internet, had at least a period of, of really deep hatred for those movies. Um, and I, I, your video has changed the way that I look at those because now a lot of those decisions that just seem completely insane make sense because you put them in a, in a frame that makes me understand, oh, that's why... For example, they they didn't just have Obi Wan teach Anakin and that be the thing. They had to bring in this this Qui Gon character to fill certain parts of of the story that George had kind of created around it, and he didn't want to just throw everything away because he's not a fast enough writer to just come up with it on the fly. Those those right. pressures that I didn't understand are there. That that was what I think uh, really fascinated me. Yeah, um, a complex <laughs> uh, dichotomy with him, where on the one hand. He is a businessman. I, I think he loathes the fact that he's a businessman, but he is so very much a businessman. Um, it's I, I think it's a, an aspect of himself he despises, yet he is so good at it and so dedicated to it, yet it compromises his art in a lot of places. That th this is one thing that you uh, you have to realize about him. Like on the one hand, um, about the first Star Wars film, he was so committed to making it the best he could make it. He was working on it literally while it was in the theaters. He was still trying <laughs> to improve the film. But then the second one comes across and he's not directly making it. He's financing it. And so all of a sudden his attitude is completely different. It's good enough. We could have made just as much money if we didn't make it as good. You know, Willing to compromise when it's not his vision being put out there. But when right. it's his vision, there are no boundaries. Right, right. I that that is a fascinating thing, and especially the stuff about um, him trying to build a Skywalker Ranch behind it, and that that's sort of. Whereas with uh, a, a New Hope, the the driving force that it was that he wanted to tell this story, but with the sequels, it was to create this, you know, uh, place where directors could create movies and and all that. That was. A, a fascinating part of the vision and suddenly makes things make a lot more sense to me as to how and why he made the decisions he did. One thing that I was that, that came across to me in the in the thing that I had not realized is how uh, in a lot of ways it could have been very possible that Steven Spielberg was the one to direct um, uh, episode six. I mean, I'd always heard that, but it was sort of in the context of like, you hear like, oh yeah, that part in the 90s was originally optioned for Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. Like everyone wanted that guy to to make that. So um, what do you think would have been, and this may be just too big of a question, but what do you think things, how different do you think things would have been had Spielberg been the one to make episode six? 
I think it would have completely changed um, the history of it because um, there were two consequences to to that. First off, um, well, to, to put it in context for those who didn't watch it, which is probably most of you, um, the <laughs> but four you don't words because they're awesome. <laughs> the four words: an Irvin Kirshner film. Their absence from the beginning of Empire Strikes Back changed the entire future of the saga and George Lucas and Lucasfilm because it meant that um, uh, Kirshner was fined by the Directors Guild of America for that. They tried to get Lucas, but because of the union rules having to do with the UK, he was off the hook. So they went after Kirshner, just, you know, we want somebody's head here. Right. And Lucas was so upset about it that he pulled out of the DGA and wasn't going to work with it anymore. And because Spielberg was in the DGA, he couldn't do the third film. And it, it, if Kirshner couldn't do it, it was pretty much agreed that Spielberg would be the best choice to do the third one because um, they had worked together so well on Raiders and Lucas had such confidence in him. And Spielberg genuinely liked Star Wars. So it, it was a virtual certainty that he would have done the third one. As a result of that... Lucas wouldn't have had to do all of the things that he did with that film, um, having cut the franchise short for one. There was supposed to not only be the prequels, but the sequels as well. An entire third trilogy that we're only getting now was supposed to come out in the 90s. Um, but they didn't get to that because he, he's like, OK, we're just going to draw this thing to a close. I'm going to get this last one out there and it's done. He also wouldn't have been forced to have been on set to watch Rick McCallum do everything. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Richard Marquand, my bad. Um, <laughs> and by, uh, by being on set, he wasn't at home to deal with his marriage problems, which is probably the reason why his wife left him in mm -hmm. the end. So if he had just put an Irvin Kirshner film at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, that would have changed Spielberg would have been on board. Lucas would have had no stress at home. He would have had no stress at work. He'd be able to work just as easily as he had on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there was no reason to stop their plan of making the prequels immediately after episode six was done. So we would have gotten um, episode one probably in 1986 and so on. And then the sequels, at, uh, prequel, um, sorry, the sequel trilogy then after that. As had wow. originally been the plan, but everything changed as a result. Four yeah, words changed the whole future. <laughs> it's amazing how often, like little tiny details, can can have huge consequences that way. That was another thing that came across a lot uh, in your videos. Uh, let, let me let me reframe this a little bit. My my favorite Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi. It was the first one that I saw, and it has always kind of stuck with me and had a place in my heart. Um, as I've grown older, I've come to decide that Empire is a better movie, but I can't quite dis make myself uh, choose a different favorite movie from Return of the Jedi. And so um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a wish fulfillment thing for me to think about what Return of the Jedi would look like if it had been done by uh, Spielberg instead, just because like maybe that's the, the best of the Star Wars movies in that universe. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Spielberg really got Lucas, I think. And um, I, I think the only exception in the entirety of their relationship was Indy 4, where Spielberg felt he was doing something that he wasn't really 
um, fully on board with. But otherwise, they they really kind of gelled well. I mean, even um, uh, Temple of Doom, while um, having some you know negative press, and there it, there are some deficiencies to that film. Still, nevertheless, uh, when you look past them, you see a great film. And so, when you take the idea of Return of the Jedi, which Despite the flaws that are present in that film, if you could um, have Steven Spielberg's uh, experienced and um, incredible talent on board with that as well, that probably would have been exactly what you wanted. You, they would have closed out that trilogy with a the best of the best. I, I think that uh, it, it seems to me that a big part of, of the problems that, that Lucas faces are that he seems to have trouble trusting people to do the work around him. He, he, I think a big part of it is that it seems like he wants to do all of the work himself because then it's on his shoulders and he can make it look the way he wants. But if, if he was just more able to give other people these things or find people that he trusted to, to handle these parts of, of, his his craft that he doesn't want to do, he would be in in such a better position to create the the stories that he wants to. Does that seem correct to you, or do you have a different view on him? I think that it's um, again this dichotomy with him. He wants to be the creator mastermind. Uh, he he wants to be separated from all of the day to day rigor and just conceive of and craft these things himself. And have other people get in there and um, do all of the detail work. Mm -hmm. The problem is that he's been bitten several times. Um, THX 1138, the studio came in and cut footage for pretty much no reason. The um, uh, American Graffiti, exact same thing. They, they go in there and they messed around with his movie. And Lucas doesn't want other people coming in and messing up what he is envisioning. He wants things done his way. He's open to listening to other viewpoints. But once he makes a decision, he doesn't want anyone else meddling with it. I mean, think about the DGA thing. He could have just said, fine, thrown them the money that he threw them anyway and just got on with his life. But no, he pulls out of it because he's mad at them for getting involved. Let mm -hmm. him do the movie his way. He doesn't care if it's the studios, the unions, the fans. He wants things his way. It's not because of arrogance. It's because he's just committed to what he feels it should be. I, I think that's a hard thing for people to get. How is that not arrogance? But the, the thing to understand is that Lucas wants to have his work of art. It's his name on it. In most cases, it's his money making it. He understands how other people want to see it. But in the end, he's making this film for himself, and it's going to be his way. That That is a, a fascinating aspect of the man. And it uh, something that has, has come kind of across to me uh, as I've as I've gotten older is that he hasn't done a lot to defend himself from the criticism that I've seen. And I think that that is uh, a interesting decision uh, just because he, he is in a position to, to push back on a lot of that. He could explain a lot of things, but I, I think I admire that he just is willing to say like, yeah, I made my films and maybe the prequels are not, are not great, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, justify myself. I made the movies I wanted to. Exactly. He wants to create art. 
and art doesn't please everybody in all of their ways. And he sees um, the value of what others are trying to achieve, but it's not always what he wants. Um, for example, the, um, the Empire Strikes Back, the scene in the Wampa Cave. Um, personally, I think that the original presentation of that scene was much better. It um, shooting around the monster added to the sense of menace to it, whereas seeing it in the open like that kind of diminished that. But Lucas, um, who recognized that there's artistic merit to the first way, but I really want to see the monster in there, so I'm going to make it my way. It's not that the other way is illegitimate, but it's not the way I want to see it. Mm-hmm. I think that that that. That's an interesting example because of all the ones that you you pointed out. I agreed with you on all of them except that one. That one I've always liked that we finally got to see that monster. But maybe that was just because I was, you know, a, a young kid when I first saw the the new version of that, and I was like, whoa, that thing looks awesome. So you know, it's it's hard to to eliminate that that you know uh, kids vision of of seeing these things for the first time. Although I will say that I've never been particularly a fan of Han stepping on Jabba's tail in uh, A New Hope. <laughs> That one always just the, looks so jerky to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, to clarify for anyone um, who hasn't heard my view, I'm not opposed to the special edition changes on principle, only in application. Um, so, like, it's a scene-by-scene scene thing with me. Is it better or worse? Like, for example, I think that Cloud City is a vast improvement over the original. Yes. It's... It's so beautiful, it's so open, it's so atmospheric. That's an, uh, an incredible change, good. But the, the Vader um, alert my Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival and all those other scenes, that was a mistake in my view. Not because it's changed, but just because I think that it um, removes an important aspect of Vader's response to what just happened. And... Um, offered nothing, you know. It's, uh, you know, he's going to to leave, bring my shuttle, and then he's on the other ship. You don't need to show him getting from one place to the other place. We can <laughs> we can fill in the blanks there. Right. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot of little changes like that that just don't really make sense. And I feel like he he got into the nitty gritty details of it and was just like, I really want it to look like this. And it seems like at times he has trouble seeing things from outside of his own perspective. And then when he has people that he trusts, like um, uh, uh, Kirshner or, or even his, his first wife, to help him kind of get around the things that he, he feels like he has to do and to make changes the way that she changed uh, the, the, um, the trench run so that she merged the two that were originally there into one single run. It, it feels like if he has someone who has, that he can trust the opinion of, he he can make those changes that are necessary, but other times he just kind of gets stuck on in this sort of this obsessive way of, of completing his vision that he can't always see what's best for for the story. Exactly. That's why I think that uh, the first two films of the original trilogy were the best because that was when he was most willing to accept the the viewpoints of other people. In the original film, it was. Um, you know, all, all of those greats of his generation, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, um, Francis Ford Coppola, 
all, all of those people were, were watching Star Wars and giving him feedback and some of it really harsh feedback. And he took it on board um, uh, with humility and he still defended what he was doing. He was like, why are they saying that? Where could I possibly improve? He even challenged Brian De Palma. Okay, if you think that you can do the opening crawl better, demonstrate. So Brian De Palma did, and it was better. Okay, so he's willing to do that. Whereas when he came to Return of the Jedi, where after the experience of Empire, he was had been frustrated by Kirshner not doing everything he wanted to do so that he could edit the movie his way, to Gary Kurtz not stepping in and you know, imposing... George's will upon uh, them on set because he saw he was getting such a good movie. He then stacked that film with Yes Men, um, Kazanjian, um, Marquand, um, mm -hmm. people that he could control. And that's why Return of the Jedi, I think, wasn't as good as it could have been because there was no one there who could really push him with the exception of... Uh, but Kasdan was the only one who could really give Lucas any pushback at that point on making the film, you know, differently. And even then, he still acquiesced to Lucas on a lot of areas. The primary place where he put, um, got Lucas to change things was to recognize, okay, dude, two Death Stars are kind of overkill. Um, but uh, he, he still insisted on the Death Star over Hattabaddon. He still insisted upon the Ewoks. He, he still insisted that nobody was going to die except for the bad guys. Um, but it, but at least Kasdan was able to at least push him in uh, some directions. Right. Um, and uh, I think that's important to remember when you get into the prequels that um, the um, the producer on them. Uh, gosh, why can't I remember anybody's names today? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The, the, the producers on the prequels, the um, Rick McCallum. <laughs> I, I'm thrown off because there's a Richard Marquand, a Ralph McQuarrie, and a Rick McCallum all in there with the same initials. Right, exactly. Um, if it makes you feel better, you came up with it at exactly the same time it took me to search it on the internet. So you're just as good as Google. <laughs> so, um, but McCallum got a lot of heat as um, Lucas's yes man when um, really behind the scenes, he was the one that was pushing Lucas a lot of the time and trying to get him and was the one who... Um, for episode three stepped in and said to him, you know, we, we've got to accept a hard lesson. And that is that you are not an actor's director and let's address that. Let's stop pretending that it's not true. And as a result, episode three was stronger in that area because he was willing to, to tell George how it was. He had enormous respect for Lucas, but he was, could also see, Hey, now's the time where you got to make a change. So I think that that aspect of, Lucas is better when he has other people who can take his bad ideas and make them good and his good ideas and make them great. Yeah, that's that's really what has has come across of it to me. It it was interesting to me to find out that he wasn't originally uh, going to film school to be a director. I didn't realize that he had wanted to be a, a cameraman. That that all makes so much sense to me watching the the movies because I think there's the if you if you take away the flaws of the story and and whatever else, if you just look at the way that he films things i think that he always has a very specific view of of the universe he wants to create and as much as i uh i think that there are, are definitely strong points with the prequels or the, with the sequel movies i mean um something that i think that has been lost a little bit is george's style with the camera it's it's not the same anymore 
and while they've they've done a lot to to bring things from the old movies and try to make them feel that way they haven't quite gotten that aspect of it back and that's not necessarily a bad thing i mean we're you, you can't have star wars continue and george make star wars movies forever and you might not want to after after the prequels but that said that is that is something that has seemed to to disappear from the movies yeah um i think the best way to see um lucas's vision is to go back to the very first film and what does it start with first it gives you the opening crawl so you have context for everything but then what is immediately after that that opening shot of the pursuit and that is an uh, iconic image and it tells you so much visually about what this is, about how outclassed they are, about how serious the uh, adversary is. It communicates so much without saying a word. And that il illustrates that aspect of Lucas using the camera to tell the story whenever possible. Absolutely. That, that is, is something that, I mean, one of my, my biggest uh, gripes with the sequels is that they have not really done a lot to establish the larger situation of the world. And Lucas managed to do that in the first few seconds of, of A New Hope. He you, he you know exactly, okay, there are tiny people. They are fighting a big, powerful force. That's really the entire thing that you need to know. And it's just, it's right there, right from the beginning. Exactly. So we, we touched a little bit on, um, on the prequels. I'm, I'm curious to know, do you, is, do you think that, okay, so with the original movies, a lot of times it seems like the the problems and the 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 difficulties that he ran into forced him to make those movies better and it overall although there were staggering challenges for him to to overcome in in making that original trilogy the those challenges made him better and made him make better movies for the most part uh what do you think was missing from from letting the prequels and the challenges that he he faced there drive him to make better movies? Was it just the amount of time he had to make them in? Or was it the, the lack of those voices or a combination of all that? Or do you think there was something else specific that was holding that, those movies back? Time. That was the, the problem. Lucas just um, didn't have the time to create the, uh, the films the same way that he had for the original ones because of all of his responsibilities running Lucasfilm and all of the production aspects. He needed to be more focused upon putting together a solid script so that someone like a Kasdan could come along and rework it. Because as um, Lawrence Kasdan said, when he looked at Lucas's first uh, final draft for uh, Empire Strikes Back, he said, this barely qualifies as a rough draft in my estimation, whereas Lucas was quite proud of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that because he ran out of time, because, you know, it was so expensive to make it and they were trying to finance it all themselves that they were committed to a schedule that wasn't accommodating to him as a writer. And mm -hmm. so they were going from, OK, finish script directly into, OK, let's start the production with no time in there for that. Right. Do, do you think if if he just had someone there that could write faster or if he just had that more time, do those movies look significantly better or do you think that would just let those problems accumulate if that was the if that was the case i think it's that and the other aspect that hurt the prequels was his decision to create uh, an entire first film around anakin's backstory that 
um, really threw off the timing of the other films. There wasn't enough material for that one. There wasn't enough material then for episode two. And then episode three had more material than it could fit in there. So right. if he had just um, fixed those two problems, I think that that was where the deficiencies, the prequels lay. Once you get past the mindset of these films are awful and they are the worst things that anyone has ever made and that and look at every single decision as a flawed concept, you can start to see, OK, this does have merit to it. I, that I, is I, one thing that I'm. That is one thing I'm very glad that we we've kind of moved past as as internet culture has evolved. Uh, th that people seem to be much more willing now to look at that and say, okay, maybe we overreacted a little bit in in calling these abominations. Yeah, but it's all it's done is changed. The Last Jedi is now what the Phantom Menace used to be. You're not wrong. I definitely have some some questions for you about the sequels and your thoughts on them, just mainly because you haven't made videos on those yet. But <laughs> oh, that movie, man! We we just to give you a little uh, inside baseball here. We just recently recorded our our podcast on on the Last Jedi, and normally our podcasts run for an hour to an hour and a half or so. That one is almost three hours long. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's that's it's quite a movie in a lot of ways, and I'm I'm kind of fascinated by it, even though I don't love it in a lot of ways. But to to bring it back to the prequels for for a moment, um, so it is interesting to me that mainly as a writer, uh, that a big part of the problem with the first movie is that it's so much background material. And if you go back to something that we brought up earlier, the the title crawl of the original Star Wars, um, it seemed that the original version of that just had too much backstory, and it seems like uh, Lucas just has never been able to polish the skill, the basic skills of a writer to to a degree that make him understand. You know, that's why you don't do that. Is that it? It, it bogs things down too much, and that movie is definitely a little too bogged down by whose story are we telling here? You know. Yes, that that's the problem. If he had just taken his background material and incorporated it into Episode One through flashbacks and such, it would have been so. Um, very different. We would have had plenty of room to cover everything that he wanted, um, room so that when we got to episode three, there was room to breathe once we got in there. Episode three was still the best of the prequel trilogy, in my opinion, but it still suffers from being too packed as a mm -hmm. result of it. I think that the other side of it is that what, what makes me saddest, I think, uh, about the, the prequels and the, the Clone Wars TV show has done a little bit to, to ease this, this pain, but I wish that they had focused more strongly on the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It feels like those two get a scene or two per movie to, to hang out with each other, and there's a decent amount of chemistry, I think, between the two of them. Um, but it's, it's so sad that like when we get to that third movie, if you've only watched the movies, these two have, have barely interacted. And so it loses a lot of that uh you know you were my brother anakin type energy that it needed if if you could uh, <laughs> this is becoming like what how do you fix the prequels conversation but <laughs> <laughs> so here's um, a little uh, fun fact if you want sure if thanks to the changes of the prequels by the time you find uh ben kenobi in the original a new hope he is the same age as Keanu Reeves is now. 
wow, the Tatooine must age you bad. <laughs> wow. That is, yeah, that's a good point. Huh. You ever look at Keanu Reeves and say, look at that old fossil? <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't there a running internet joke that's like, is this guy actually 300 years old because of this old painting that looks exactly like him and his <laughs> lack of aging? Oh, man, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, to, to get away from, from Lucas a little bit now that we've talked about the prequels a little bit, um, what are your general thoughts on, on the sequels? I don't know if there's stuff you don't want to you want to save for videos that you're planning or anything like that, but I would be curious to, to know your, your overall opinion on them. Um, I haven't been enthusiastic about them, but I haven't despised them the way everybody else has. Um, I, I'll admit I found episode seven to be fairly bland. Um, episode eight, I, I know is incredibly controversial. Um, I, it, it, at least it's not bland. Uh, <laughs> yes. Of all the things you can say about that movie, bland is not on the list. <laughs> you know, I could, I could certainly see a lot of the arguments against that film. Um, but at, at, I, I sat down and watched episode seven before I went to go see the last Jedi. And I was like, man, this is kind of a slog. I've never felt bored in a star wars movie before i, I didn't think it was possible but this is just meh. more <laughs> you know so do you think that uh, stems from from issues that you have with jj because i feel if, if i'm remembering correctly and, and you're welcome to correct me if i'm wrong but if i remember correctly you had uh issues that were sort of similar with that with his his star wars movies or star trek movies i'm sorry well it wasn't with him specifically um i i think that the original um, of his movie, the, the the one that came out in two thousand nine was uh, wasn't that bad, but wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Enter Darkness was just awful. Um, but <laughs> his involvement in that um, it, it is isn't as great in the aspects that I found most uh, terrible about Into Darkness. And don't get me started on that because I can go on about that all day. <laughs> I, I mean, I would listen to that, but. Um... So, to step into maybe a little more controversial grounds than you want to, what do you think of Ray as a character? She's all right. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, I. The only characters uh, from the sequel trilogies that I don't really care for is uh, Kylo Ren. Really, and I I know. I I realize everybody else thinks that, you know. But I, I don't care. I'm about, about <laughs> him and right. and his problems. Um, Ray, yeah, okay. Um, the the other characters, I'm I'm awful with names, as we have established. So <laughs> he's, you know, it's it's that ex stormtrooper guy. He's okay. Finn. The yeah. uh, uh, what's her name? It was in the escape pod that joins him in the next movie. She's all right. Yeah, I'm not bothered by any of them. The Lady Admiral in the second movie, yeah, she is a bit overbearing a lot of the time, but uh, she's not that bad. But uh, I realize that this is uh, not exactly a great ringing endorsement of, well, yeah, I guess you're okay. You don't suck as badly as other people say. <laughs> you know, I think that is is sort of an interesting perspective to take on them just because that is such a, a, a rare one but in general I, I tend to kind of agree I think that um, 
in some ways, the episode seven was kind of what we needed in that it wasn't terrible. And we kind of just really needed to see that that Star Wars didn't have to be terrible anymore. Um, but with 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 the, the with eight, I think that they made some decisions that were too okay. So you you said that that one's not bland, and it's definitely not. I think that they went, I guess, too spicy with it. And so some people are are going to be on board with that the way that anyone would be with spicy food. But some people are going to touch that with their tongue and be like, ah, no, and and be burning for hours over it, you know. <laughs> Sure, I, I, I can understand. I mean, I've heard a lot of criticisms against the film, and I'd say probably about 75% of them, I, if I don't agree with, I can at least understand. Um, I, I do think that uh, the, the hatred over, uh, I, I'm awful with names, Escape Pod Girl is what I'll call her. Rose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that that's uh, really overblown. I thought the, I didn't despise her in any way. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. compared to some other characters that we've had. Um, in the franchise, you know, but uh, right. but otherwise, Jar Jar uh, is is way over the top to me. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I mean, uh. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to put it. Uh. Do, that said, do you have any particular hopes or expectations for for Episode Nine? Honestly, I probably shouldn't even say this, but um, after the last two films, I might wait to watch it on video. Um, oh wow! <laughs> I I just am not enthusiastic after what we had, um, especially that, with J.J. Abrams coming back. Which, like I said, the first film kind of dull to me. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm very worried about him for a lot of the same reasons that I was very excited about him when he was announced as the director for that one. And it's that I think that J.J. Abrams can bring a lot of of really good energy. And, and a good starting place for a lot of movies. But I don't think his track record on endings is, is very good at all. So I'm, I'm kind of worried about that. Yeah, I just... Uh, plus you throw in the fact that um, Carrie Fisher sadly passed away, yeah. which, you know, the, the one living cast um, character is played by someone who is no longer with us. Right. You know, is, you know... A, a disappointment because it, um, we all know that that was going to be her film to really rise up and shine. And, mm -hmm. you know, so now she's absent and they did a changing of the guard and they might have, you know, now they're doing Luke trying to fill in the gap and um, I, all in all, you know, I'm, I'm not enthusiastic about this at all. I'm not hating on it or anything. It's just, it's, it's a thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that. Do, do you think that once we get past uh, episode nine and they can kind of be free of, of these, these trilogies that they can do other, other things with star Wars that aren't necessarily connected to the, to the Skywalkers. Do you think that that will help or hinder things in the future? Oh, it should absolutely help. They've been doing um, great work with it. Um, once you put that aside, the, um, I think Rogue One is the best thing that um, st that they've put out since Disney took over. I think that uh, Solo is much better than people have given it credit for. There, there are some deficiencies there, sure, but it's not as bad as people have been slamming it as. I think that The Mandalorian is showing, you know, how far we've come that we can have a, a live action weekly Star Wars program on television. The uh, work that they're doing in uh, animation now, 
there there's a lot of potential there and they're working to try to tap it and i think that um aside of the the trilogy based upon the original six films things are actually going pretty well it it would be nice to see because one of the most fascinating things about Star Wars is the way that that universe is so expansive. It would be nice to see them kind of grow beyond the the original movies and and everything that's connected to them. As as much as I love those those movies and those stories, I think that that is probably what the franchise needs to do to to move forward, so people can kind of let go of all of this. Yeah, that's probably for the best. Um. So. Talking, talking about the the future of Star Wars. If uh, you got to, if, if for some reason Disney came to you and said, "Chuck, we want to recognize your your great uh, contributions to science fiction, and we're going to let you choose where we're going to set the next movie and what time period," would you pick st- something in the future, or maybe something set in the Old Republic, or or something kind of in between, or anything like that? I would set it between um, the prequel trilogy and. The original trilogy. I think that's a great period um, in there where there's um, you you can draw upon the best of both those aspects. There, you still have um, uh, remnants of the, the the old Republic on hand, remnants of the Jedi on hand, but you got the rebellion on the other side, and you got the Empire over all of it there, and you have Vader as an active um, player in all of that. I think that's a great opportunity um, to to explore. I, I I don't I'm I don't know that you've had time to to look at it or or check it out at all, but uh, from what I've played of Jedi Fallen Order, they're doing a really great job of doing exactly that. So you, if if you have the time, you may want to look into that one. That one's a lot of fun. Sure, uh, on the eighth day of the week and the sixth week of the month, <laughs> I'll put right. that in there. <laughs> exactly. We'll we'll just have to get someone to pay you to play that one. <laughs> <laughs> um. Another thing, talking, kind of leaning off that, you've done a lot of uh, the different uh, KOTOR characters, full videos on on those series, which, if you don't mind me asking, do you have plans to continue that? Uh, and and I'm hoping to see you get to a Jedi character personally soon. <laughs> the um, Bounty Hunter is next, and the Jedi Knight is the one after that. Oh, okay. Now I'm hyped. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> uh, I, that's that's the thing. For, for me, I've always come to Star Wars for for the force and for the jedi characters so anytime i can get any content that is any relation to that at all i'm i'm very excited (laughs) um let's see what other questions do i have here uh oh okay i think this is a this is a good way to round things out and it is easily the most important question that i've asked all right if you replace palpatine with captain janeway does she succeed in defeating the rebels I don't know. That's a tough one because she's she can get in her own way sometimes. Do you do you think that she turns uh, Darth Vader into Darth Harry? I think that Vader would get slapped a lot more often. <laughs> Maybe bring him back to his to his uh, Padme days then. <laughs> Well, Chuck, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about all of this. Um, thank you for, for giving me some of your, your uh, I know, very uh, limited spare time. Um, I appreciate it very much. Uh, do you want to plug anything that you've got coming up or anything like that? 
I'm hoping to put um, the Hero's Journey, Shadow's Journey, and Hermit's Journey onto YouTube sometime in the new, near future so that they'll be more accessible for people. But there's a few problems I've got to get past first, but I'm hopeful that uh, that'll be happening soon. Awesome. I, I highly recommend that everyone check those out because those videos were, were very eye-opening in a lot of ways towards the, the creation of, of the, the Star Wars movies that, that Lucas was behind. I think that it, it really helped me understand those movies in a way that I never had before. Um, so, yeah, definitely highly recommend that. Well, Chuck, thank you very much, and uh, until next time, we're opinionated. Thanks for having me. And that's that. Once again, I'd like to give a big thank you to Chuck for taking time from a very busy schedule to talk to me. Links to his website and to the Hero's Journey video series that we talked about will be in the description. Please go and check out his content, especially his Star Trek reviews. They're absolute comedy gold. We'll be back to our regular episodes next week, but be sure to tune in because we have some big news that we're going to drop in that episode. Until next time, we're opinionated. Thanks for listening, and Merry Christmas. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so, um, I had a question, and now it is gone, and I'm totally going to edit this part out because I look like a dumbass right now. Uh, <laughs>